Welcome, everybody, to KickServeRadio.com, Tennis On Air with Andy Zoden. Today is a very important segment of KickServeRadio.com because I am talking to someone who is on the front lines of this pandemic. He is Dr. Andrew Chernake, a good friend of mine, a 5-0 player, teaching pro, plays competitively at a national level to this day. So he's in the trenches with us on the tennis side of this thing, but he's also on the front lines. He is a doctor. He is dealing with COVID-19 patients. Andy, welcome to the show, and and let's start out by, just so people know who they're listening to right now, tell us a little bit more about your medical background than anything else. Hey, Andy, and thanks for having me. Uh, I am a hospitalist, uh, so internal medicine inside the hospital, and I deal with patients with all medical ailments these days. Uh, Unfortunately, the vast majority of patients are COVID-19 patients. All right. So you've been dealing with a lot of coronavirus and there's a lot of things that are out there that are subjects that among those of us that don't do what you do are up for debate. And as tennis pros, many of us feel like we should be closed. There should be no tennis. The USTA and the USPTA have both come out and said that. What are your thoughts on what tennis facilities should be doing right now? Andy, I, I think uh, it's really important that there are no exceptions whatsoever. All tennis facilities need to be closed, period. The only exception uh, that I would permit for playing tennis is with family members that you would live with, not if, obviously not a, a parent or something that's not living in the same house. So with family members that you reside with on your own private court where there's no chance of touching a ball that someone else has touched or uh, any other interference from the public. I, I feel very strongly that there should be no exceptions to this whatsoever. What would you tell a club manager or a director of tennis that says, we're good over here with what we're doing. We're sterilizing the carts. We're, we're keeping six feet apart. We're maintaining social distance and we're going to keep doing what we're doing. There's no way to do this safely. There's out, there's out, in my opinion, there's 0% chance that you can do this in a safe manner. And as we were talking, when we were talking earlier, you know, we both agreed that you're either part of the problem or part of the solution. And if your club is open, you are part of the problem. Okay. So that's pretty dire. And many of us that make a living on the tennis court are concerned about what our programs are going to look like this summer. If we do exactly what you're saying, which is stay off the court, shut our facilities down, socially distance at very extreme levels, is there reason for optimism for later in the season that we'll be on the court to some extent, giving lessons, playing matches, having leagues, playing tournaments? Is there any chance of that in 2020, in your opinion? Absolutely. But I think you hit the nail on the head. It's only if we do the right thing right now that uh, it will pay off in spades later on. I think uh, if we continue to, to break the rules and not socially distance appropriately, this thing will drag on longer than we want. And, and we won't be on the court in any meaningful capacity in the near future. However, if we abide by the guidelines, I'm very confident that there will be testing readily accessible, available, cheap testing in the near future, and that will allow us to get out in some capacity. My guest today on kickserveradio.com is Dr. Andrew Chernake, and he is 
great tennis player, a very active tennis player and coach, but more importantly, he is a doctor and he is on the front lines with COVID-19. All right, Doc, if I'm diagnosed, but I'm not necessarily ready to be hospitalized, and I think you mentioned to me in another conversation that the predominant amount of COVID patients don't necessarily need hospitalization. In fact, most of them don't at all, but I've got some symptoms that are making my life miserable. I mean, we've seen people on TV that, that have the virus, and it doesn't sound fun to me at all. What are some of the over, over-the-counter over drugs and, and medications that I can keep in my house or at least go out and get to help me get through that 10-day to three-week period that it sounds like can be pretty miserable? Yeah. Uh, for fever, you want to take Tylenol. Uh, there's very good evidence that uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agents such as Advil, ibuprofen, Motrin, Aleve can be detrimental, and you should avoid these at all costs. I do think Tylenol is a very good uh, antipyretic, which means reducing fever. Uh, for cold and flu-like symptoms, you can use whatever you would use normally over-the-counter for congestion. And I just want to point uh, one thing out that you mentioned that the vast majority of patients, probably 80%, do not require hospitalization. Furthermore, there's a large percentage of patients that are asymptomatic, meaning they have the virus but have no symptoms whatsoever. And that's why this thing is so deadly because those people are transmitting the disease to people who will have potentially severe symptoms. So just because you're not sick doesn't mean you don't have this thing. And I think that's important for people to understand. You and I both have made tennis part of our our daily life. And we, I think, both intend to do it for as long as we possibly can. If you were to contract COVID-19 and recover from it, is that going to leave you with any sort of long-term lingering lung or other kind of damage that would uh, sort of render you as 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 less able to get out and do the things that we love doing and, and be competitive tennis players and to take long runs and to undertake a, a, a strenuous, active lifestyle going forward? Yeah, I'm confident in saying that if you have the mild form of the disease, which again, probably 80% of us will have if, if we do have the misfortune of contracting the virus, that there will be no long-term effects whatsoever, and you will be able to resume your previous activities at the level that you're at. If you develop the severe form requiring an ICU stay and mechanical ventilation, uh, there is a chance that there could be long-term uh, uh, disabilities, long-term uh, lung issues. We just don't know because it's a new virus and, you know, the jury's still out on that. Are you concerned that if people take some of the optimistic reports that are coming out now that the curve seems to be flattening and some of these uh, reports that are coming out uh, about uh, the numbers not being as bad as, as first anticipated will give people a false sense of security about resuming their normal life and getting away from the social distancing too soon? I do. I'm very concerned about that. This is not the time to take the foot off the gas. Not at all. Uh, we have to keep going until this immediate crisis is resolved. And the only thing that's going to enable us to get back to normal life and get back out onto the tennis court is to have testing where we'll know who's immune, who's, who has had the disease, and we'll also know who is infected currently. 
once we know who's immune and once we know who's infected and who's not, then we can get back to a normal life. But before then, we have to uh, keep on social distancing. Okay. Before I let you go, Doc, let's get into just the, the, the tip of the iceberg with regard to the science. And one of the things that you mentioned to me was in the beginning, you guys were ready to jump on putting people on ventilators pretty early on, but then you've come to realize that the, the process by which you choose to put people on ventilators has somewhat been adjusted based on some of your findings? Absolutely. We're finding that patients can tolerate extremely low levels of oxygen uh, in the hospital and be minimally symptomatic. It's amazing. I've had patients with oxygen saturations in the 60s, normal uh, is 95 to 100, who are sitting there talking, having a conversation just like this. And it's, it's unbelievable to watch. And it's scary because we're not used to seeing this. We're used to seeing patients with oxygen saturations in the 60s look like they're in severe respiratory distress. That's not the case with this illness. So what we were doing initially is putting these patients on the ventilator, thinking that these low oxygen saturations are unacceptable. But what we found that very soon after putting patients on the ventilator, they were deteriorating rapidly. And we think it's rather than it being progression of the disease, we think it's actually the positive pressure ventilation from the ventilator itself that's causing the progression of the lung disease. So now we're finding that letting patients keep some control and breathe on their own with very high level, uh, high levels of oxygen supplementation is much better in the long run than putting them on the ventilator. And I think this has uh, huge ramifications for the prognosis of the disease going forward. And then the last thing, doctor, is the fact that you have come uh, to realize that, that what is really the, the, the killer in this disease is some of the what's going on with with clotting and that that's of course correct me if i'm wrong here which i probably am but it's an overreaction by one's immune system to the virus and as a result of which people are experiencing some symptoms that they otherwise I, explain that i don't even want to butcher it any worse than i probably already have <laughs> yeah no 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 you, you have the right idea for sure so one colleague of mine summarized it beautifully. He said, this is a wimpy virus with a hyper-exaggerated immune response, which kills you. And that, that's exactly right. Uh, what, we, what we said is that 50% of the people or more don't even have any symptoms from this virus. So if your immune, res if your immune system responds appropriately, the disease might not even make you sick. And if it does make you sick, it's certainly not going to kill you. Um, but if the if the immune response is inappropriate and exaggerated, that's what that's what's deadly. So the treatment needs to be more on the uh, control, uh, more on controlling the immune system rather than fighting the virus itself. And last but not least, we've got about a minute left. Hydroxychloroquine. The president says, kind of shrugs. You know, what have you got to lose? Where do you stand on hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine as a treatment if you come down with a with an extreme case of coronavirus? So, actually, I do think that if we use it early in the course of the disease, there may be benefit. Uh, I don't think it's a wonder drug. I don't think it's a miracle drug by any stretch of the imagination. I think the other things that we talked about are far more important, treating 
the immune response, possibly with steroids, treating the coagulation with blood thinners, and again, just uh, and, and, and adjusting our ventilator protocol. Uh, I think these are the keys to improving the death rate in this, in this horrible disease. I do think there may be some role for Plaquenil early if, if used early on. My guest today on a very important segment of kickserveradio.com has been Dr. Andrew Chernake. And I'm going to spell his last name. It's C-H-E-R-N-A-I-K. And if you go to his Facebook page, you will be able to get much more in-depth reports. He has been giving updates, which prompted me to connect with him and do this, this spot today. Andy, I want to thank you on behalf of everybody, the tennis community, but everybody for doing what you're doing on the front lines. You guys are putting uh, a lot at risk by going in and treating those patients, and they certainly need your help, and we need you to be in there doing what you're doing. So first and foremost, thanks for that. Stay safe. Stay healthy. My best to your family, and hopefully we can continue to do these updates once in a while because I find them to be extremely helpful. Absolutely. Andy, can I just make one one more sure, thing? Sure, of course. Here? Uh, I, I talked about steroids and blood thinners in the, in the treatment of this disease. That does not apply to the people who are at home with mild to moderate disease. I, I want to make that clear to people that they shouldn't be talking to their doctor about getting on blood thinners or steroids with mild disease. This only applies to hospitalized patients. Great stuff. Again, Doc, thank you so much. Uh, get back to just you know kicking butt and taking names on this deal because I know you're helping a lot of people. And, and stay safe and healthy yourself. You got it, my man. Thanks for talking to me.